Uh, as church, we're in a series right now. We've been going through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. It comes to us from New Testament scriptures. If you were here last week, uh, what we saw last week, we, we really looked at the whole idea of identity and what it looks like to live in who God says we are and his verdict on our life and what he says about who we are. Uh, and that's a huge thing. It's a life-changing thing. It, it gives us a place of security from which to live life. Now, this week, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians. We're going on to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 5. And the message today is about now, if you were here last week, uh, this whole idea of living out of that identity. This week, we're going to talk about how do you be who you are. Paul was talking to this church, and he's trying to help them see this is who you are in Christ. It's who God says you are. You are forgiven. You are loved. You're, you're now it's called to be a holy, a distinctly different people in this world. And now this week, we're going to see as he continues to talk to them, he's really going to encourage them. Now, I want you to be who you are. This is who you are. Here's how you now live into and out of that. You know, we've been singing so far this morning words to God and, and declaring kind of what life in him can look like. If you're new, you don't normally come to church. Can I tell you, I hope this morning you get a vision for a whole different kind of life than the one you've known, one that's full, that's free. We sang about joy and freedom and what it's like to live in that. Uh, this week, as we look at this passage, it's really going to give us some incredible insight into how do, you, how do you actually live that? Not just sing it on Sunday. How do you live out of that space? So I love this chapter because it gives us some great insight into how we start to live that. And what this chapter is going to tell us, 1 Corinthians 5, is going to tell us that the greatest barrier between you and the full life, the joy, the freedom, the peace, all those things that God has for you, the, the biggest challenge, the biggest barrier, the biggest gap between actually living in sort of, I know this is who I am in Christ, and then experiencing that in a present reality, this chapter will tell us that the greatest barrier and challenge to that is sin. And how we both deal with sin, what our attitude is towards it, and, and what our actions are like towards it. And sin's kind of a weird thing. It's not a popular word nowadays. And sin is anything that is outside of God's design and intentions for our lives. It's anything that lies outside the boundaries that God has actually said, this is how I've created you, this is how I've created life, this is how it's meant to be. Sin is action, attitudes, a disposition of our heart that doesn't trust God in those things and that wants to do other than what he has designed for us. And, and in that is where we find this incredible barrier. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to dive in. Here Paul's writing, and, and it turns out that there is an incredible kind of uh, case of bad sin in this church, and here is, is what he's going to say to him. And this is after he's kind of, remember, he's been talking about, you know, you're boasting about how great you are, building your identity on that. And then he goes on, he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual, sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now you start here and you sort of like, um, now we feel like, okay, we're, we're entering sort of Jerry Springer territory and what's going on in the church. Again, some of you are probably new to church and you're like, for real? <laughs> this, this is what's happening here on Sunday mornings, talking about stuff like this. Yeah, that's right. That's right, we are. Because this is what's going on. Now catch this little picture. This is what's amazing. 
Paul says, look, here's what's happening. Uh, now, sexual immorality is any kind of, you know, sexual uh, e- expression, you know, activity that exists outside God's created and designed bounds. And Paul says, look, there, there is this case where there's a guy who is sleeping with his father's wife. Uh, and he means that quite literally, his father's wife, and they are now, it's not his actual mother, but his father's wife, and they are now in a, a relationship where they're, they're sleeping together and living in this. And he's wanting to, at the same time, stay as part of the fellowship of believers, followers of Jesus. And seeing kind of no, no sort of like problem with the incongruity of this situation. And Paul's like, this, this is something even pagans don't tolerate. And what he's saying is, remember we've talked about Corinth. It's a bit of a mix of New York, L.A., and Vegas. And it's a, a, a sexual morality was like, they were incredibly sexually licentious. And Paul's like, do you know how bad it is out there? They don't even think this is okay. You know, you go on Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer will not think this is okay. But somehow within the church right now, this is, you've worked out a way in trying to act like this is okay. And Paul says, and you're proud. You're all puffed up. You feel like we're going along great. He says, shouldn't you rather, isn't this what should have happened? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. And as one who's present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. Verse 4, he goes on and says, So when you're assembled, when you gather, and I'm with you in spirit, won't be there physically, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, what we talked about is one of the greatest barriers to actually the, the freedom, the fullness of life, the peace, the joy, all the things God has for us. One of the greatest barriers is sin. Now, this is a, a, a chapter. This is a, a part of his letter that is going to help them. Here is how you should deal with sin, he's going to say to the church. Now, we read this, and there's some phrases here that don't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. A little hard to understand. What does it mean to hand this man over to Satan, the destruction of the flesh, the spirit? What, what, we, what we see in this picture is what Paul, here's the big picture of it. Paul's saying, look, this, this is not good. Trying to, to say you're a follower of Christ and yet living deliberately, you know, in a committed, you know, way that completely contradicts God's intentions and design, that's not good. And he's saying if someone's going to live like this, you can't just kind of act like that's no big deal. He says, you, you guys, the problem is, he says, you got so blasé about this when you should have been broken about this. And what we see, and so that's kind of, what does it mean that he's like put him out, destruction of the flesh? What you get here, this is the big picture. If you imagine, a, you know, maybe a child who's living in a family and they're an adult and they're grown and they're making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And at a point, sometimes parents have to come all the way to a place of going, look, I actually have to ask you to leave because I, not because I don't love you, but because I do love you. And I'm hoping that this will help bring a change in your life. That's what Paul's saying. Look, my primary concern is this person to come back into full walking with the Lord. So that's why he asked him to do this. Now, here's what I want us to get. Here's the first thing we see from this chapter about how should we think about sin? How do we deal with it? There's a big difference between being blasé and being broken. Paul's going to say, here's the first challenge to how you think about sin. He says, what happened in this church here in Corinth, he says, what's going on with you guys is you've taken a real blasé attitude. He says, you're all puffed up about it. You've worked out sort of a theology, a practice, a whole way of allowing something to happen that is crystally clear outside of what God would want. Even like the most pagan people around him would not think this is okay. And he's like, you guys have somehow worked out a way to be like, it's no big deal. 
And he says that's, you know, one of the first things that keeps us actually from dealing with sin well is a blasé attitude towards it that, that sort of feels like, well, it's no big deal. You know, in our culture today, you know, this is certainly no less kind of a temptation for us. Most, you know, when we think about wrongdoing, it's almost been edited out of life in so many ways. Because the attitude towards wrongdoing is, you know what, you can't tell anyone what they're doing is wrong. What's true and good for them is good for them. And follow your heart and just do where that takes you. And who is anyone to ever say? And what can happen is that can creep in and we're followers of Christ. I'm like, well, you know what, I mean, it's not that big a deal. And we're so excited and passionate about God's grace that we forget the cost that sin actually has. We forget the cost it was to Christ who had to go to the cross for it. We forget the, the cost it has in our own life and what it keeps us from. One of the first barriers to really dealing with sin in a healthy way is when we develop a blasé attitude towards it. Paul says, shouldn't you? Here's what you should have done. He says, here's how you should have felt about this. You should have felt like mourning is the word he uses. He's like, you should have been sad about this. This should have made you just feel like, I can't believe this happened. You should have been broken about this. Do you know, being able to kind of deal with and process sin in a healthy way begins with a healthy sense of brokenness over sin. Shouldn't you have rather mourned? Can I ask you something, would you? Ask your own self in your own life this morning, be so bold as to say, do I feel a sense of brokenness over sin in this world? And, and more specific, do I feel a sense of brokenness over sin in my own life? See, one of the worst things that can happen with this particular passage of Scripture is we're like, whoa, that was pretty bad. You know, that guy, the, the, the mother and the husbands, well, like, this is really bad. If that happens, I will definitely deal with the person I see doing that. This chapter is not about how do you set up sort of new rules and laws for how you deal with someone else's. This is about how should we treat and deal and process in, in our own lives. It's not about who can I point at and think, you know what? I was actually came in this morning. I thought there was a couple people I was a little concerned about. And I read 1 Corinthians 5. And Dina, don't worry, man. I'll go talk to him after the service. And I will take it upon myself to ensure that they are out of the fellowship. This is not a chapter about that. And if your head went anywhere down that direction, you're already missing what this is all about. But what is for every one of us? is what is my attitude towards sin? Is there a, is there a blaseness? Is there a brokenness? You know, this time of year, as we think about and celebrate Christ on the cross, he went there for our sins. You know, many people maybe remember there's a famous story that came out when the Passion of the Christ came out, directed by, you know, Mel Gibson, and how one particular scene when the nails are being hammered into Jesus' hands, how Mel Gibson said, I want my hand in that scene. And it's his hand that's holding Jesus' arm on the cross. And it was his way of saying, this is my recognition. It's me who put him on there. He was broken. And you can think whatever you want about that guy, but you could tell in that moment he got like this. This is because of me Christ had to go to the cross. In all our lives, there should be a brokenness when we come across sin. Now, one of the things I, I feel that you, you kind of see in this is you have to ask yourself. I mean, you feel like Paul, he's talking to his church. He's like, nobody thinks this is okay. Not even out there where it's kind of wild. and crazy. They, No one thinks it's okay. And he's like, so shouldn't you have been broken? And here's what I can't help but sort of think. You know what? If you can't, if you don't even, it's almost like you're saying to church, if you don't see it here, I mean, how, how well were they likely dealing with the, let, let's just call it less visible 
or sometimes less crystal clear sin in their own lives. If, you, if they had become blasé about that, imagine what else they'd probably become blasé about. And Paul's like, and that's why you know, you're all puffed up. Because here, here's the thing. What Paul's going to go on, he's going to help us see something. Why should we be so broken about this? Because even a little bit is a big deal. He goes on, he writes it this way. This is how he puts it. He says, your boasting is not good. They're here in this red. They're like, yeah, we, we started to get that picture. <laughs> Thanks, man. He's like, it's not good. You're all puffed up. He says, don't you know that just a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? So get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. He says, this is who you are. I want you to be who you really are. So he says, get rid of that old yeast. Get rid of, the, it's a picture of sin here. He says, get rid of it so that you can be who you are as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul's going to bring in this picture of, of leaven. The way that they would leaven their bread, uh, the, the, the kind of strict translation, what they would use for yeast, what leaven was a little bit different. Leaven was, uh, it was when you take, how many people are bakers? Do we have any bakers here? Like true bakers, like it's your profession. Raise your hand only if it's your profession. Okay, no one's an expert. So what leaven is, <laughs> so any of you kind of hobbyists, don't argue with me, okay? I, I read it in Greek, so I don't know if it all came through. Anyway, so leaven, what they would do, because yeast was not incredibly common, they would make a batch of dough, and they would let it ferment. So now I've made this batch of dough. We're going to keep back just a little chunk, just a little bit. And we're going to let that ferment until the next time it's time to make the next batch. Now, by the time that's fermented, it acts like a yeast. So it helps the dough rise and become bread. So what would happen is you'd always, you'd be taking this little bit of dough, you know, and so you let it ferment. Now we're making a new batch of bread. Take that bit, put it here, but keep back just a little bit so we have it for next time. Let it keep fermenting. Now we make another batch. Keep a little bit back. Now here's the thing. In, in the scriptures, over and over, this is a symbol of, of actually kind of sin, of brokenness, of what's wrong in the world. And, and, this is, and, and what he's saying is, don't you know, it, and all you'd need to keep back was a little bit. It could be a really small amount. But you just take that little bit and put it in that dough, and it helps it all rise. But, and it only took a little bit. But here's the thing. What, what he's saying, it, and so in the Old Testament, they began to celebrate this festival, the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And that was when you go, you know what? Forget it. Forget all that. You know, we've been saving it and using the same bit, and it keeps going on and keeps going on and keeps going on, and we keep keeping it back, and it keeps. So the Festival of Unleavened Bread was when you went, that's it. Fresh start. Get rid of all the old leaven. Get rid of all the old, old leaven, and we're going to start over. We're going to start fresh. And the unleavened bread, it's not going to rise, but it's going to be without leaven. It's, it's a symbol and a picture of, of kind of purity. And that's why Christ, you know, the, the unblemished, perfect lamb. He, this is why we celebrate this new festival. Christ, the lamb who's been sacrificed, who was perfect. So this leaven is this picture of sin. And what Paul's saying is it only takes a little bit. You don't, you know, the whole, it seemed like it was all so good, but just that little bit in there. And it has this effect on the whole. He's saying it to them as a church. This, this particular situation, it was infecting and affecting everyone in some ways. Probably contributing towards all of them becoming more blasé and callous. It was, it was part of a bigger problem. Just this one. And likewise, in each one of our lives, the scriptures are always telling us just a little bit of leaven, a little bit of sin. It has an effect on the whole. 
A little bit's a big deal. You know, one of the hardest things, I think, if you're a follower of Christ and you've walked with him for a long time, I think becoming blasé about our sin is one of the easiest traps we fall into. Because we start to feel like, well, you know, I kind of sorted out some of the big ones. So I feel like, you know what? And we begin to be blasé when all it takes is just a little bit. And it affects the whole. And it keeps us from experiencing the peace, the joy, the freedom, the fullness, all those things we were just singing about. It only takes a little bit to keep us from, from experiencing all that. And so here's what Paul says, even a little bit, it's a big deal. Even a little bit, it's a big deal. Make sure you deal with even, even a little bit. And Paul says, Here, here's what you should do. He, he goes on and, he, and he's going to give this picture, picking up, I think, in, in verse 9. He says, now, so here's how to actually deal with it. He says, look, I wrote to you in my letter. He had written them another letter before. We don't have that letter, but he's letting us know. I wrote to you in my, my other letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you, let you know you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. He says, what business of, is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So expel the wicked person from among you. Now here's, here's what I want us to get. Uh, especially as we look at this, you know, kind of chunk of scripture. Let's go back to, to verse 8 there. It, it's, it's, it's a really cool picture here on how we should actually deal with sin. Uh, and what, what happens in, um, uh, let's go forward one more. I think I'm, I misnumbered them. He says, here, here's how we're supposed to deal with sin. You know how sometimes we end up dealing with sin in the church? What they have started to do is like we start to think, yeah, sin's bad, and there's a lot of bad out there. So we better make sure that we don't go anywhere close to it. And we better, you know, and it becomes very easy to sort of externalize it and to look outside, and we get really, can end up suddenly getting really good at pointing out sin everywhere around us and, and going, we better, you know, stay away from that so we make sure we're doing all right. Paul says, look, I told you, don't associate with sexually immoral people. He says, but I don't mean the people of this world. In other words, he's saying, I'm not talking about the people outside the church when I said that. So what we're going to see here is there's two ways that we need to deal with sin. One is when we think about people who are outside of faith, outside of Christ, and then how we have to think about it for those who are inside, including ourselves. And he says when it comes to people outside, I wasn't saying don't uh, associate with them. I wasn't saying withdraw. And he says you'd have to leave the whole world. In other words, because remember, we, Corinth is like a combo of New York, L.A., and Vegas, and to go heavy on the Vegas part. And Paul's like, if you want to try and avoid that, you just have to leave the world entirely. He goes, that's, but what I was trying to help you see is that this is what we have to do. We have to think about what does it look like when we're a brother or sister in Christ. And, and he says, I, I'm telling you, I want you to, to watch out that you don't associate. You don't get very close to. You don't, you know, kind of get up close, personal, tight with, with people uh, who want to have it both ways, who want to be able to, on one hand, say, I'm following Christ. And on the other hand, say, this is no big deal what I do. Paul says, that's what's not okay. So if you see somebody doing that, that's when you got to go, that's not okay. And so don't, don't allow that to happen. What he gives here is this list. He gives a list. We see it twice. He says, one, don't, don't worry about the people of the world who are, you know, immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters, 
Sexual moral, he says, you know, don't worry about it. And then he says, but anyone who's a brother, sister, and is all those things, he says, that's who you don't associate with. You know what he's trying to get at? He's going, we are supposed to be different. This is the message of 1 Corinthians, distinctly different, holy people. And Paul's going, that's what the city is like. He's going, this is what Corinth is like. And that's, that's them. And God will take care of them. You don't need to start trying to tell them how they should live and shouldn't live. You need to look after you and make sure that we are actually living and modeling a distinctly different life. Do you know, do you think about all these areas? Imagine it was a list for, for Perth. This is the list of Corinth. It's, these are words that were always associated with that city. Do you know what he would say to us, what God would say to us is, do our lives look distinctly different than the people around us? Have we found a different approach to all these things, to sexuality? Do we have a different approach in the church? Does it look distinctly different? It should. Do we have a different approach to money? Not, not, not greedy. Do, does our ethic, does our vision and, and the way we approach money, does it look distinctly different? Paul says it should. You know, idolatry, the things that we lift up is of utmost importance in our lives. Do we have the same things in mind as the people around us? Or do our lives look like they're focused around entirely different things? Because they should. You know, drunkards, does our approach to what alcohol looks like in our lives, does it look just like everyone else around us? It should look distinctly different. All these things. And Paul says, and now when you begin to even a little bit start to lose the plot on these, He's like, here's what you got to do. He says, you know, in the, in the church in this situation, he says, don't associate with those people. You got to, and he's going to give this phrase at the end. He says, you got to expel that brother. The whole point here is he's saying, if you allow this to remain in the church, it will infect, it will like have an effect on everyone. So you got to, if this is where they're at, they've got to go. Can I tell you something? This is a picture of how every one of us is called to deal with sin in our own lives. We are called to expel sin from our lives. We're called to not excuse it, not say it's no big deal, not say, well, that's just kind of how it is and it's no big We are called to expel. Expel is a strong word. I remember the second time I got expelled from school. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. And I said second. So he said, wait, what? Just kidding. I didn't actually ever. They um, gave you a couple chances. And so... Just kidding. I never did get expelled. But I remember, you know, there was always kind of like stories about, you know, that person heard like one more and they're expelled. You know, like that's it. I can remember a couple of the, you know, like one more, that's it. You know, and that person also became, interestingly, always the coolest person around. <laughs> and, um, but the whole idea of expelling in school, it's just sort of like, look, if this, if this stays here any longer, it's going to be bad. It's going to, in fact, it's going to, all the kids will start to do this and it will all shift and turn. And maybe it's the teacher going like, and they may all turn on us and we better just expel them. We're supposed to have this kind, of, this kind of feeling towards sin in our lives. And it's like, you know what? When I see even a little bit, bam, that's got to go. Because I don't want that to affect all of me. I don't want that to come between me and Christ. I don't want that to keep me from that life of freedom and faith and joy and peace. Because and, even a little bit starts to affect the whole. And he's really clear here. This is how we deal for ourselves. This is not... How we deal, what, what Paul's kind of getting, you know, Jesus said you're supposed to be in the world and not of the world, right? 
You're supposed to be in the world. Like we're right there. We're rubbing shoulders. We're light. We're salt. We're, we're, we're showing Christ's love. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And what Paul's saying is right here, he's going, church, you became of the world, but not in it. You've withdrawn from the world, but you're actually living the same as the world. And the great call for us is to go, how do we, no, let's not ever, it's such a temptation to always kind of withdraw from the world. And yet our approach to so many of these things doesn't look any different anyway. We end up not in the world, but now we're of the world, and we just, we just miss it. When we are called to be distinctly different. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to get your expel on. <laughs> I want you to get your expel on. If you find yourself ever singing about something here as we gather, and you're like, man, we sing about this life with, like, peace and joy and all these good things, but I'm not experiencing as much of that as I used to or wanted to. Or, you know, one of the great places to go is to go, you know, actually, where do I need to get my expel on? Where are there things in my life that I've allowed to creep in? And I got a little blasé about it, and I didn't think it was that big a deal. And is that even really sin or is that not sin or what? You know, and, and, and you actually let it. And you know what? It actually starts to affect the whole. And, and here's what, what I think this looks like. Here's how you actually do that. Here's how you get your expel on. And I think we even have a slide. Do we have a slide that says get your expel on? Because I, I don't want you to miss this. You've got to learn how to expel sin from your life. How to go, this will not stay. I'm not going to allow it to be here. I'm going to be who I was called to be. That's it. Now you're all like, Yes. I'm going to get my expel on. It's about, this. it's about this. We don't have to look at ourselves with kind of harsh eyes and, oh, man, I am so bad. Jeez, that's right. I am terrible. I knew I'd come to church here, and that's why I'm, I'm hard. To get your expel on is to go, you know what, Christ? As I walk with you and as I listen for the Spirit's voice in my life, I want you to show me when a little something is creeping in that is not what you desire for my life. That's sin. And I don't want to excuse it. And I don't want to dress it up. I just want to be able to, as the Bible says, confess your sins to him. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us. And what that tells us in 1 John is that when we, to confess means to say with. It means, God, you say it's sin. And, and I agree, that's sin. I don't want that. And so I want to expel that. Lord, I bring it to you. I receive the forgiveness that was brought for me at the cross. And now I want to walk in more of what you had for my life. It's what it looks like just to expel sin. And can I encourage you not to let yourself be blasé, but to go, you know what, to, to actually whenever he begins to put his finger in your life on something. And for some, sometimes it's just real clear. You don't even need like the still small whisper, like there's bright flashing lights. Like the guy who was sleeping with his father's wife, bright flashing lights. You know what, and, and for some of you sitting here, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't even need to kind of work this one out. I just know. You know what? Bring it to him, confess it, receive forgiveness, expel it from your life. I'm done with that and start to move on. So you can get back to walking in joy and peace and grace. It's not a beat yourself up thing. It's how do, I, how do we allow authentic conviction of the spirit so we can deal with it, expel it, and then get back to living the free, full, joyful, peaceful life that he actually intends for us. So that we can be who we are. You know, the... One of the books, I, I read a book a couple years ago, and it's been a real, just, I, I love this book. It's called uh, Continuous Revival. It was written in the 50s by a guy named Norman Grubb, and he just talks about what this kind of life of confession looks like so that we live continually in the joy and the revived and the full life that God wants for us. And a huge part of it is just being able to consistently deal with and expel since so we get back to living in that, in that 
river of life that God has for us. You know, one of the things I love that he talks about is how easily we sometimes, we would sometimes like to excuse our sin rather than expel it. You know, I, I mean, this, you know, how about, how about this as, as an example from my own life? You ever get, you know, like maybe you're getting a little bit short or, or maybe you're kind of getting a little stirred up on the inside. Sometimes if I, I'd be tempted and I, and I do, and I'm like, you know, what, actually, I'm just feeling a bit stressed, getting a little bit grumpy, getting a little bit short, getting a little this and that. You know what? It's really easy for me to sometimes stick this label on and go, oh, I'm just stressed. It's a bit of stress. We can stick that label on a lot of things. But then what happens, I find and I'm living in that space. I'm like, Lord, what actually is going on when I stop long enough to listen slowly enough and say, Lord, what is actually going on here? So often the Spirit just gives me a little nudge to go, this, you want to dress this up and call it stress. You're, this is fear. You're afraid of something. You're afraid of, you know, how you'll look. You're afraid of reputation. Why? Because you didn't build your identity in me. You're, you're, you're concerned that, you know, uh, that you're having a conflict. And, you know, you ever end up having, you probably don't, but sometimes uh, maybe there's conflict going on. I end up in an imaginary argument with a person in my head. Like, that never happens to any of you. But, like, I... Now I'm kind of having it and thinking about all the stuff I should have said, you know. Man, that's, that's what I should have said, you know. Next time, I'll be ready, you know. That's just me. Lord, I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of exercising wisdom here to figure out how to respond appropriately next time. That's all, Lord. No, no, no. That's sin. You know, what, what, what is it? What's behind that? What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid is going to happen? What are, what are you, why are you so concerned what so-and-so thinks of you anyway? Because you're putting your identity. That's sin. It's so easy to excuse stuff and stick a label on it and go, oh, it's just stress. No, there's always something different behind that. What, what is it? Just a little bit. What does it look like to actually go? And so here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. You want to more of the fullness of the light that he has for you, one of the things we've got to be really good at is being able to constantly go, you know what, even a little bit, I just want to expel that. Lord, help me to hear it, see it, and get rid of it. I wanted to call that just being really uh, wise about something. Lord, you're calling it a critical spirit. You're right, that sin, and I want to, I want to expel that. What is it? Every person is different. Sometimes big flashing lights. But more often than not, we have to learn how to walk slowly with the voice of God in our lives, who helps us to see it. And I just want to encourage you, this is not about, here's the great thing. You don't have to sit and just start analyzing yourself like crazy and going like, oh man, was this, was that. This is, you know, we don't, we don't have to turn it inward and beat ourselves up. None of that. That's always a sense of false condemnation that is very different from the authentic conviction of the Spirit of God. What we just have to do is to say, Lord, is there anything you see? And to be still enough and to be quiet long enough to see what he might bring to light. And, and if there's nothing there, then thank him for where you're at in that moment and move on. But if he starts to put his finger on something, don't be too quick to go, no, 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 that was, that was just because, you know, I was a little stressed or I was, Lord, what's there? Wouldn't it be amazing to be people who can be who we are? Our identity is in Christ. We're walking with him. We're listening for authentic, an authentic conviction. Here's how you can know. Condemnation will always leave you feeling worse than when you started. Condemnation will leave you feeling like, man, I knew it. I knew I was that kind of person. I was this kind of thing. I have no chance of ever changing that. Authentic conviction is freeing and liberating and leaves you feeling joyful. 
praising Jesus and thanking him that, oh man, it was never about me anyway. It's about what he did for me. It's about the forgiveness he won for me. And Lord, I want to just get back to living in that space. Thank you so much. And it leaves you feeling freer and more joyful than when you started. And that's how you know it's the real deal. That's how you know this is actually what he has for you. That's how you know you're then free to live out this life that is distinctly different. To be who we are. He says, you are called to be now this, this unleavened loaf. This brand new batch. That's who you are. If you're in Christ, you're a brand new batch. And sometimes when, when it creeps in, it's our call just to hear his voice and to expel it so we can continue to live and be who we are. You know, we're going to take some time. The team's going to come up. And I want to encourage you. They're going to play quietly for a few moments. But this morning, can I encourage you just to take a few minutes. We're going to take communion. And, and we're going to do this because always what this does is it reminds us. I want to give you some space to just this morning even just take a few minutes just to sit in quiet and listen and say, Lord, is there anything in my life where you would say, this, I want you to expel this. Uh, do you see this? I want you just to go, yep, easy to excuse it. Like to just kind of call it by another name. But actually, Lord, you call that sin and I confess that. I say it with you. You say it's sin. I say it's sin. I ask your forgiveness. And I receive the forgiveness that was won for me on the cross. Thank you, Lord. May I now start to walk in the fullness of that life once again. I want to give you a few minutes just to sit quietly, just to see what he'd say to you, to see if there's anywhere he puts us. And if he does, then today is a great day. It's a joyful day. None of this is sort of, oh, I'll beat my, this is a day to go, oh, you know what? Lord, thank you for pointing that out. Because now you're, you're leading me in the way of life. You're leading me towards joy. You're leading me towards peace. You're leading me to be who I am. You can have another one of those steps in that today. So just take a few minutes. Just sit quietly. Just listen. See if there's anything he would say to you. Anywhere he just put his finger on something in your life. And if there is, can I encourage you? Just say it with him. You're right, Lord. I'm sorry. I confess that. And I turn away from that. I want to leave that. I don't want to have that thought pattern. I don't want to continue to say those things. I don't want to live in that space. I'm not going to do that action. Lord, I... I I want to walk in a new way. I want to expel it from my life. And, and after you've had a few moments to sit, to listen with him, then come with joy and take the bread and the cup and thank him that it was never about you anyway. Thank him that actually his forgiveness for whatever you confess to him is more than enough. And his word tells us if we just confess it, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. He will have done something in your life in that moment, in your heart. And he will have made room for more of his spirit, more of his life to flow into you and through you. Oh, what an, what an opportunity. Let me pray for you today as you take a few moments to sit in that space with him. And after you've done that, when you're ready and free to come and celebrate what he's done for you, then come and do that. If you want to kneel today, you know, at the front, feel free to do that. But let him speak. Let him whisper. Expel what needs expelled and live in the joy of what he's offered. Would you bow for a moment as I pray? Lord, this morning I pray that each one of us would have ears that can hear the words of your spirit.
ears that can hear the whispers you have to us, that we might see what you see. We might turn from what needs turned from. And because of the forgiveness that's in Christ, because our identity is now found in him, that, Lord, we could walk more in that fullness today. We could walk more in the fullness of what you have for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the new identity you've given us. And we pray that we would be who we are. Lord, we would live as you have called us and spoken and declared us to be. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Take a few moments, sit, listen. Listen.